You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Genesis 2, 7 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, family. Good morning, Sojourn. Uh, As Jamal said, my name is Brandon Shields. I'm so, so grateful to be here. This is on my bucket list to preach at Sojourn Midtown. So thank you guys. I can die in peace. Uh, I uh, grew up here in Louisville, so it's so good to be back. Grew up on the south side, which if you live in the city, I'm not talking like just south of like Eastern Parkway, but actually all the way south, almost to Bullitt County, uh, Fern Creek. My wife's from J-Town. So it's really good to be back here. We live in Indianapolis now. I want to say, first of all, thank you uh, just for having me. I, I know that you guys know this, but you have an incredible pastor in Jamal and an incredible, uh, I like to call it first lady, uh, first lady in Amber. They are truly amazing uh, servants of the Lord. Nobody has loved us, but they have such a gift of just being present and loving people well. We're going to talk about that today, but they do it so well. And we have gone through just such a hard time uh, over the last 10 years in planting. And Jamal is just one of those people that is so intentional about reaching out, praying for me, encouraging me. He has that gift. And so um, just, I know that you guys are thankful, but you have just an incredible uh, leadership couple here that are serving the Lord and serve so many pastors uh, probably that you're not even aware of. And so this church has been a blessing uh, directly to Soma Church. I want to start off um, this morning kind of acknowledging uh, just the awkwardness of being invited, thank you, Jamal, uh, to talk about your body to you. <laughs> I don't know you, and I know that it's hard to talk about like the most intimate part of you. Like literally last service, I'm talking about the body at the beginning. I'm t- we're talking about sacred bodies today. And people's bodies start clenching up as soon as I start talking. And you may be feeling that right now in your body. It, it reminds me, uh, of this experience I had in ninth grade. I went to male high school my first two years and uh, PE and health class required for all freshmen. And it was taught by this like 50 something year old coach um, who was not the warmest guy in the world. And who I, I didn't know from Adam uh, when I walked into his class, like first couple weeks into school, he sits us down and said, we are gonna talk about your bodies and we're gonna talk about sex. So I want you to get out a piece of paper and write down questions you have and I'll do my best to answer your questions. And it was the most awkward like next couple of weeks like I'd ever experienced in my life. Just like somebody I didn't know, didn't have a relationship with, and then now I'm talking about, uh, uh, I'm supposed to be talking about my body with. Um, so that's kind of one thing. Uh, I am also the least of these when it comes to talking about the body. I live in my head. I live in the life of the mind. So like I have a hard time with my body. I feel awkward in my body. I was the kid that didn't go to dances because I didn't like people seeing me do things with my body. So this is just, it's a hard topic. And it's ironic that my wife who named our church plant Soma, Soma means body uh, in the New Testament. So I am a person uncomfortable with my body who passes a church called body. And so we are gonna need some help this morning talking to you about your bodies. Um, so I want to just take a moment and we're gonna need to pray. 
Uh, We're going to need to ask the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor and our advocate, to do what he does, to empower us with the presence of God and to guide us into truth. So we join me in just praying and asking God to teach us this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a good father, that you long to speak to your children, that Jesus has come into the world to redeem our bodies, to show us what it looks like and to give us the power to live a new embodied life. And so Holy Spirit, would you breathe your spirit into us? Would you breathe your truth, your reality into us? Would you teach us and guide us, empower us to be different, to be transformed as we study your word together and as we take in your life into our bodies this morning? We pray that you would bless your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to talk about sacred bodies and uh, we're gonna continue this series in Genesis And I want to frame our conversation of sacred bodies around four movements. I want to talk about the design of our bodies. I want to talk about the distortion of our bodies and then the deliverance of our bodies. And then what it looks like to actually invite Jesus to help us disciple our bodies. And so let's start with the design of our bodies. And it's important as we think about the design, how God has made our bodies, that we start in Genesis chapters one and two, because um, oftentimes, Um, Our university professors, uh, our our culture, our institutions, the media, um, uh, even in the church, if we're honest, and maybe the church tradition you grew up in like mine, often starts in Genesis 3 with with what's wrong with our bodies. And and let me just say this, like we need all of it. We need Genesis 1 and 2, we need 3 and beyond. Genesis 1 and 2 without Genesis 3 is a fantasy world. It doesn't exist right? Like it doesn't exist anymore right now. Genesis 3 without Genesis 1 through 2 is a nightmare. It's a tragedy. And so uh, getting to the body without starting in Genesis um, 1 and 2, it's like walking into the middle. Some of you guys are Christopher Nolan movie fans, like walking into the middle of inception. It's just weird. It's confusing. Times move in different directions. We're not really sure what's happening. That's what it's like to show up in the conversation oftentimes in our cultural moment, talking about just what's wrong with our bodies or trying to make sense of our bodies without the map, without the compass. And so we wanna go back here to these words that are just so packed with meaning and are so helpful to us that Amber read, they're so weighty. I mean, hear these again, God formed the man of dust from the ground. In the original Hebrew, that is a, a word play. Literally, it is God formed the man or the human, Adam, from or of the earth, the ground, the dust, the Adamah. Literally from the dust, from the earth, God breathes his breath into the face or into the nostrils, into the body. The spirit of life from God himself is breathed into the man and he becomes a living being. Unlike animals who are bodies without spirit and unlike angels with their, which are spirit without body, humans are created as a fusion, as a, an integrated whole being that is comprised of both spirit and body. Physicality comes together with spirituality in humans. The material meets the immaterial and they are designed to be complementary, not in competition with one another. One is not elevated above the other. Both matter, both come together and serve in this organic whole in the way that we were designed by God. This is what we call, what theologians call embodied 
spirituality, right? And, and it's important that we get this right. You do not just have a body. Your body is not a necessary evil. It's not, uh, as my daughters would say, just an accessory. Like you don't just have a body. You are a body. Now you are more than a body, right? But you are not less than a body. You have a body. We are embodied souls. God designed our bodies to be a home for his image. Jamal talked about that. He created the image of, he, he created us after his image, after his authentic license, li- likeness. And he places our image, his image in bodies. Bodies that are a home for him and a home for his image. And bodies that were supposed to serve as allies in bringing about human flourishing. That is the design, right? Every aspect of your body down to the atomic level, your atoms, your cells, your skin, your bones, your blood, your nervous system, your digestive system, your vascular system, your thoughts, your feelings, your senses, taste, touch, smell, your imagination, your desires, your conscience, your memories, your actions, your spirituality, your sexuality, your ethnicity, your gender, all designed by God to work together in this harmonious unity, like a symphony playing together, designed to fulfill God's purposes. God formed us for himself and he formed us for flourishing, life with him and life in the world. Genesis 2 summarizes kind of headlines this, the wholeness that we all long to get back into in our bodies. When it says these simple words, they were naked and not ashamed, right? Like that's what we want in our bodies. Naked, completely physically naked, but also spiritually, relationally, in every way, transparent, vulnerable, right? Creative, connected, joyful in their bodies. The body in Genesis is integrally tied to how Adam and Eve make sense of their world. It's how they form a sense of identity, right? Like to know who am I, to answer those questions, like who is God, who am I? What does it mean to be human in the world is all discovered through their bodies. Like to to ask that question that we ask of ourselves, who am I? They, They simply began with looking at their bodies. Now that's not the whole story, but it's an important part of the story. They came to know the goodness of God through their senses. They, they talked with God. They walked with God. They, they experienced God's goodness in their relationships. They experienced God's goodness in the natural world, in and through their bodies. It's how they form community. I mean, think about the first community, right? The first community in the Bible is not found in a coffee shop. It literally comes out of their bodies. Their children, the first human community come out of their bodies right? There's this hunger for intimacy. Adam discovers his loneliness, which by the way, is a design feature, not a design flaw, right? To be alone is bad. Loneliness is what drives us to intimacy and connection. It's the heart of human sexuality, for instance. Language, culture, place, all part of community. And it's how they then live out their calling in the world, identity, community, calling. It's how they exercise creative power and authority. It's how they make something of the world. No body, no power, right? This is how we too experience the world. 
I mentioned that I grew up on the south side of Louisville. Like the way that I came to know God, to know myself, to know the world was through growing up in Cedar Creek, right? Like a neighborhood on the south side of, of Louisville and Fern Creek. And, and, I, and I came to experience the world by walking those creeks, right? Encountering my neighbors physically, sharing meals together. I, I, I learned something of what it was like to be bullied, like to, to, to learn about injustice in my body because I was a below average height male. Not a good thing when you're a child. I learned something about the penchant that I have to read when I didn't want to be around people as a child. I wanted to just read Stephen King novels. I learned something about the world by taking in my, my world, right? Like all of these aspects of what it meant to be me. I had white skin and that meant something about how I experienced the world. I was male. I grew up on the South Side. I was in a middle-class neighborhood. I attended TMS Middle School and Male High School and Whitfield Academy and Spalding University. And I went to the University of Kentucky. Like these all were ways that I experienced the world. And that's the way that God designed it to be. So I, I wanna do something just, just as we move on to this next section. I, I want, and this might be kind of weird, okay? But I just humor me, okay? Because we don't do this enough in church. We don't pay attention to our bodies. The psalmist says in 139, and declares that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created fearfully and wonderfully, knit together in your mother's womb by God himself. And I want you just to take a moment. Would you just look at your body? Okay, don't look at me. Look at your body, touch your body. Would you just like touch your skin? Would you feel your heart beating? Would you take a deep breath in and get into your body? And as we do that, can we just say together, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can we say that together? I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Like I in my white skin and fearfully and wonderfully made. You, and, and you need to hear this. If you have white skin or you have brown skin or black, like you are fearfully and wonderfully. We don't hear that enough. Let's say it again. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. So if that's true, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, why do I feel so not at home in my body? Why does my body feel messed up? Why do I struggle so much in my body, with my body? Why do I feel a tightness even right now in my body as we talk about the goodness of the body? And we all know the answer to this. And I'm not gonna go in on this because you're gonna talk about this in detail in a few weeks. But we all know the answer is found in Genesis chapter three. We live on this side of Genesis chapter three. We know that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent. We know that they disobeyed God. They took authority over their bodies and they used their bodies selfishly and the curse of sin enters into the world. But I just wanna point out something that we often miss in Genesis three is, is how the body is really one of the central features of the narrative. I want you to see and remember that the enemy goes after our bodies as the primary vehicle of temptation. The serpent hijacks and he weaponizes God's good created body and he takes advantage and he exploits vulnerabilities in our body. He takes our desire, which was made for God and made to enjoy the world and he weaponizes it. He takes our senses and our memories and our imagination and he, and he mixes in these tactics, right? Deception, shame, isolation, and he turns their bodies against their own flourishing. 
And the temptation was really about trust. Are they going to trust God with their bodies and align their desires to his? Or will they trust the voice of the serpent speaking through their bodies and through their desires and inviting them to redefine good and evil according to their desires and impulses apart from God, right? Directed away from God. That's the essence of sin. It is seeking progress in our bodies apart from the presence and the power of God. And while the temptation is not about food, I think it's significant that it comes through food. It, it comes through and it's consummated by food. What begins as a deceptive idea takes root and gets internalized in the body, right? They chew the fruit. They, they eat it. They digest it. They take it into their body. Because you, you and I both know that we don't just do things with our bodies. Our bodies do things to us. They internalize realities inside of us. What we do with our bodies, we know from neuroscience, literally hardwires our brains. It forms the automatic and kind of implicit beliefs and scripts and narratives that guide our lives and our relationships. As M. Scott Peck, a Christian psychologist once said, it's not so much that we believe lies as we live lies. And so here we see the inversion of Genesis chapter one, Humans who are created to rule over the animals, over the plants, are now being ruled by serpents, food, and the desires of their body. And, and shame is unleashed. Guilt is unleashed. Fear and anxiety are unleashed. And there is the disintegration of the, the once whole body, right? It's disconnected from God and from one another. It's, it's distorted. It's damaged. And, and we no longer feel at home in our bodies. I would, I would say the easiest way to explain this is just we just feel alienated from our bodies. Our bodies move from being allies in our flourishing to being enemies and strangers. We don't feel at home in our bodies. Our body becomes a war zone of disordered desires, energies, impulses. Many of them we experience as unwanted unchosen, like a foreign power has invaded and infected us. And we're, our bodies feel diseased, like diseased, diseased. And we see what happens is that shame begins to show up in our bodies. First and foremost, we hide, they hide their bodies. They blame each other for embodied behaviors. They begin to show contempt towards their bodies. They coerce one another with their bodies. They commit acts of violence with their bodies. Because sin is not just bad things that we do, although it is that it is an evil power that enslaves us, that inhabits and influences our embodied existence. And this is how we still experience our bodies to this day. Paul writes so beautifully and so tragically about the body. And I think it's so, I love how realistic the Bible is. It never sugarcoats reality. Paul says this in Romans 7, for I don't understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that? I do the very thing I hate. I don't want to do this. It's like something's taken over me. Now, if I do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, in my fallen human nature, turned away from God, not my body, but my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, can you 
resonate with that? Does that hit you and hit your body? Can you name the alienation that you experience in your body? I mean, can you just like right now, take a moment to just feel the trauma that you've lived? What have you lived in your body? These things that we don't talk about, that we often ignore or minimize, right? Like our bodies are at war within themselves. Let's not even talk about out in the world. Let's talk about within ourselves. We carry chronic illnesses, right? Autoimmune disease. My father-in-law has a serious autoimmune disease that requires infusions every couple weeks. Autoimmune, the self is attacking itself. And many of us live with chronic disease. Some of us have aging bodies that no longer do what we want them to do. And we, as my father likes to say, spend the majority of our time just coming and going from the doctor's office. Maybe you have mental health issues. Maybe there's a dissonance in your body when it comes to your sexuality and how you've been created doesn't seem to line up with how you feel about yourself. Maybe you struggle with cutting your body, right? And in an effort to just feel something, you, you cut and you struggle in your body. You maybe feel lonely and isolated in your body. Maybe you struggle with addiction and compulsion and you don't want to do it, but you find yourself returning time and time again to the only thing that seems to make you feel alive in your body. Maybe you've experienced trauma in your body. Somebody has taken advantage of your body, done things to you that were not your fault. How do we deal with that kind of alienation? How do we deal with that kind of damage, right? Like there are powerful social and spiritual forces that are shaping narratives about what to do with our bodies, right? Like the whole world is talking about, interestingly, not just pastors, but the world is telling you, here's how to deal with your body. Here's a vision for the good life when it comes to your body. There is no neutral space, right? It is all contested space, digital contested space and contested space in our communities and in our families, And oftentimes what I find that is both inside and outside the church, we are given such a low view of the body, right? Like we we have a low view of the body that at best encourages detachment from our body, silence when it comes to our body, the dismissal of our bodies, right? Like people don't talk about your bodies. Like I remember I became a Christian at 13 in a church that basically the only thing they said about your body is what not to do. Don't do these things. And you know the things if you grew up in church that you aren't supposed to do but I have all of these conflicting desires as a teenager, all of these hormones surging through my body and nobody to tell me how to navigate those desires. I felt so alone. And so for me, ignoring my body was the best that I could do. And then I got married and all of a sudden it's like, well, what do I do with my body? I'm in close proximity to somebody else's body. I don't know. I don't like to talk about my body. Trauma, man. I'm like getting re-traumatized right now. So we just dismiss, we ignore, we downplay, we minimize. Or at worst, we demonize our bodies. We abuse our bodies. We, we have contempt for our bodies. We disdain our bodies. So much of our obsession culturally right now with our bodies, like body image, is not, I think, actually because we worship the body, but because we disdain our bodies. We have contempt for our bodies and we are trying to coerce and manipulate and force them into something. There's so much shame and so much hatred for the body. And what I want to, I just want you to hear me say, what I want you to hear scripture say is that instead of disconnecting from our bodies or demonizing our bodies, 
God invites us to see that our bodies need to be delivered. Our bodies need to be discipled by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says, right? Romans 7, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I need to be delivered. I feel like I'm in a war zone. I need to be extracted, rescued. And and who does that? He says, thanks be to God through social media. Thanks be to God through this philosophy textbook. Thanks be to God for my dealer. Thanks be to God for my parents. No, what's he say? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is why Jesus came. He came into this beautiful, broken, embodied world. And he brought redemption. Tara Owens in her wonderful book, Embracing the Body, says it like this. The glory of our bodies is that they are better than we could ever imagine. And the mystery of them is that they house such suffering and disorder as well. It is in the wilderness. This is the best word I've ever found to describe my experience. It is in the wilderness of the body. This place of utter frailty and dependence that we find ourselves freed by God. That is what God wants for your body, freedom. But it's not the kind of freedom that we often think of when we think of our bodies. It's not just a freedom from, but a freedom to. Jesus came to deliver our bodies. Al Walters says it like this, what was formed in creation has been historically deformed by sin and must be reformed in Christ. That's what Jesus came to do, to rehabilitate, to reform, to renew, to restore the goodness of the image of God, not just as an idea or a tweet or a book or a class, but actually in our bodies, right? Jesus came to perform in his body what our first parents and what we could not perform in our bodies. And he did that to deliver our bodies from the power and the presence of sin, which deforms and distorts. It doesn't destroy, but it deforms and it didn't completely destroy the image of God. But he wants to deliver our bodies from the power and presence of sin, to restore goodness to our bodies, to reconcile our bodies to God and to one another. That's what his whole life was about. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension was all about our bodies. John chapter one, God becomes flesh, remember? The word became flesh, dwelt, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God steps into a human body, breathes life into a human body, steps into that body and incarnates himself, reaffirming again the sacredness of our bodies. God cares about our bodies. God becomes flesh in Jesus. God's glory re-tabernacles with humanity. This is a Genesis 1. John 1 is Genesis 1 all over again, right? And in the incarnation, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live out God's vision for wholeness and holiness in our bodies. It's easy to forget or to downplay the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, lived in a flesh and blood Jewish, culturally Jewish male body. We forget that. He came in a body. He fully entered into a family story. His mom was a teenager, 
poor. His father, Joseph, came from royal lineage. Power and powerlessness come together in the person of Jesus in this family history that's both beautiful and broken. He enters into a human body with thoughts and feelings and a personality and desires and longings and an imagination and memories and hopes. If you take away Jesus' humanity, the early church fathers, the apostles, scripture tells us you take away humanity's salvation. Athanasius says it like this, he became what we are, human, so that we could become what he is. And since he was fully human, Jesus, like us, had to learn how to orient his physical body in such a way that he was able to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, to be fully present in a way that brought about abundant life. Now, before you call me a heretic and push me out of the church, just listen to Hebrews 5. Though he was God's son, he learned obedience. Luke says that he grew in wisdom and in stature with both God and men. Jesus himself, though he was sinless, had to learn what that looked like to be a human and to orient his body to God and to his neighbor. And he shows us, he shows us what it looks like to live a fully human life. He's fully present to God, right? He's baptized. He devotes his body to God. The spirit of God fills his body. He's attuned to God. He thinks God's thoughts. He he feels God's feelings and he does what God would do if he were human because he was, he is. He prays. He listens to the voice of his father with his body. In the garden, he struggles in his body, right? He's, he's, he's grieved, he's, he's struggling, and he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. He had to align his will with the will of the Father to be one. He's present to God, he's present to himself. He, he's aware, think about his time in the wilderness, the enemy is speaking to him just like he did to Adam and, and tempting him to use his body in selfish ways. And he, and he resists those voices. He's aware of this internal struggle of other voices, but he refuses to give his body for selfish purposes. He's aware of his emotions. He's aware of his embodied life. He naps, right? Like he, he, he naps. He's like, I'm tired. And when everybody else is freaking out, Jesus is taking a nap. And he says, this is the most spiritual thing I can do right now, is rest my body. He's, he's present to other people, right? He shows up well for other people. He eats and drinks. They call him a glutton and a drunkard because he's so celebratory. He so knows how to enjoy his life. He touches people who haven't been touched for decades, you know, I mean, some of you know, like we just lived through the pandemic and I know so many single people in my church, one of the things that they said to me when we came back together in person was, I haven't been touched in a year. Can you imagine not being touched in decades? And Jesus walks right up to these people and he lays his hand on them to bless them. Mm. He weeps, he laughs, he heals people's bodies. He befriends. This is how he lived. And then of course we know that he died and he rose from the dead. In his death, he offered up his broken body to break the power of sin and evil and death that is at work in our broken bodies. He became vulnerable 
so that we could be healed. Peter says he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he rises from the dead, once again, demonstrating his commitment to the goodness of our bodies and giving us a foretaste of God's new creation in which we will reign and rule. We read that passage earlier. We will reign and rule with God on the earth in our bodies. And then he ascends to the father, taking his body with him and saying, this is the future. The future is now broken into the present. My body, my Jewish male body will live forever. And so will yours. Jesus came to deliver our bodies. And he also came to disciple our bodies. He invites us to disciple our bodies. And I just want to close with this. What does it look like to follow Jesus in a way that transforms the way that we live in our bodies, that transforms the way we think about embodiment? Like, right, like so many of us are just resigned. We're like, well, I'll get a, I'll get a new body, uh, you know, when the kingdom's here. And I just kind of kind of like tolerate this body right now. Like, I don't know what to do. And it's like, we talk about discipling our minds. We talk about disciple, like, what about our bodies? They need to be discipled too. A disciple is a learner. That's what the word means, apprentice. To be an apprentice of Jesus was to organize your life around three things. Being with Jesus, like physical presence in relationship with him, becoming like Jesus in our character transformation, and then doing what Jesus did, learning how to live in our bodies as if Jesus himself were living in our bodies. And that's like the good news is he is, right? Like Jesus tells his disciples, I'm about to die and I'm going to have to go away. But it's good for you that I go away because what? I'm going to send you a mentor and I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you an ally who's going to restore the goodness in your body, who's going to make it possible for you to be guided into truth, who's going to transform your body from an enemy and a stranger to an ally in your redemption, He's gonna teach you and empower you. That's the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, right? I love Gordon Fee says, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence, living in us, transforming us. And Jesus says, the spirit coming to live in you is gonna be better than having me beside you. He will teach you how to live this life in your bodies. There's gonna be some unlearning that has to take place because there's some scripts, some narratives, some ways, some layers of the ways we've learned to use our bodies, our habits, our practices, those things that seem so automatic and natural and normal that are actually opposed to God's vision for your flourishing. You're gonna have to unlearn some of those and you're gonna have to relearn what it looks like to live in the family of God in healthy ways with your body. And that's why the Holy Spirit is poured out. You will receive power, Jesus says when you're clothed with the Holy Spirit. So let me just say this as as we close here. If we're going to disciple our bodies, we have to learn to pay attention to our bodies, right? What we don't pay attention to, what we don't own will own us. What is not transformed will be transmitted to other people. We want to learn to show up well in our bodies and offer our transformed and transforming presence, embodied ways to God, to ourself, to other people. We have to learn to pay attention to what's happening in our bodies, to reconnect 
to our bodies so that we can then present our bodies, right? We want to present, as Paul says, our bodies to God, right? As we learn and we internalize the love of God, just like Jesus, our bodies are filled with the same spirit that filled Jesus, fills our bodies. And like Jesus, we want to offer our bodies to God, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 6, right? 1 Corinthians 6, honor God with your bodies. Your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is to be surrendered to the love of God. And unlike people who take your body and abuse your body, God is the one who created your body. There's a safety and faith and trust and grace where I can surrender my body to God and not have my body obliterated, oppressed, exploited, but I can have my body transformed. Man. So it starts with an awareness of our bodies. Psalm 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the way everlasting. So what does that look like practically? Like for me, it looks like every day, just starting my day in silence with God, offering my body to God, breathing in, right? Being present to God, just offering my body, literally doing a scan of my body from head to toe. God, I give you my hair follicles. I, I, like, yeah, I give you my skin. I give you my eyes. I give you my mouth, my hands, my, my body, all of this. God, you get all of this, right? Like I'm giving all of this to you, God. God, would you fill this? God, I'm sorry, I repent. I, I need to rethink the way that I'm using my body because yesterday I, I, I harmed somebody with my body and I'm sorry and I need to make that right. I need to repair that. So there's repentance, there's wounds that need to be healed. And that's what God does. We sit and we linger in his presence with our bodies. He transforms us with his truth and his presence. And man, it's so hard, but we need to pay attention. When you do that, where does anxiety show up in your body? Where does anger show up in your body? Where does fear show up in your body? I bet you could literally put a finger on it. It shows up here. It shows up here. It shows up here. Like your body is always speaking to you. The question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? That's what Paul wants for us. And it's hard, right? It's like learning a musical instrument. Man, my kids... All, you know, someone play musical instruments, dude, like when they're learning like those first couple years to play the clarinet, it is a cacophony. There's no symphony there. It's loud. It's painful, right? There's all kinds of noise coming out. And that's what it's like to walk into the freedom with our bodies, right? It feels awkward. It's, it's a cacophony. It's loud. It doesn't feel good. It's slow and it's painful as we surrender our bodies to God. It is hard and it feels wrong sometimes, but the reality is it's because we've learned unhealthy ways of being in our bodies and it's gonna take some time for the Holy Spirit to lead us into the freedom that we long for because we get so used to slavery, we don't even know what freedom feels like. And so we present our bodies to God. We present our bodies to other people. We give our bodies as a healing presence. We show up well for others. We honor their bodies. We don't harm their bodies. We love and we serve this is God's invitation for us. I'm out of time. We need to pray. Let's just take a moment to receive this invitation from God. God wants to redeem, restore, renew our bodies. God wants, us to, invite, God wants to invite us into discipleship in our bodies. And I just want to invite you to take a moment to consider what that invitation might be for you today. What might God be saying to you in your body? 
about what it might look like for you to be renewed, rehabilitated, restored to the image that God created you, the, the wholeness, the integration, the joy, the vulnerability that God designed you to experience in your body. What have you lived in your body? What is the Holy Spirit wanting to do in your body? What needs to be lamented that you've lived and experienced in your body? And what might it look like for Jesus to fill you and begin to reorient your body to himself, to refill you with his glory, for you to experience the joy of embodied spirituality with God? Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.